listening to Mississippi's most unapologetically conservative podcast. Where the truth is told and liberals are exposed. Liberals are exposed. Welcome to Mississippi Matters with your host, Will McLeod. This podcast is about educating you on politics from Mississippi to Washington, D.C. So strap in and enjoy the show. And now your host, Will McLeod. And we're back, folks. Doing it again. And we're doing exactly what it is that we do best. You guessed it. Educating our listeners. Uh, I'm excited today. We have a uh, guest on the call-in line uh, that we're going to be visiting with. Uh, he's a new friend that I made in the last few days. And uh, that that's one of the beauties of social media is that you get to meet uh, intriguing people. And uh, in some cases, or in, in rare cases, you can meet uh, lifelong friends uh, uh, through those uh, mediums. And uh, this gentleman had uh, just commented in passing on a post that I had made. And it uh, led us into a very uh, in-depth and very intriguing conversation and uh, as we talked uh, uh, about some of what we're going to talk about here on the broadcast, it, it just blew my mind. And uh, I began to share it with several other friends of mine. And they said, we'd, we'd really like to hear this guy talk. And so I said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll reach out to him and see if we can have him uh, come on the uh, broadcast and uh, tell you guys exactly what it is uh, that he was explaining to me. And so we have a little over uh, 52,000 listeners across the state of Mississippi, and uh, we're averaging about 31,000 listeners per episode, uh, a little over 5,100 downloads. So I feel like this is going to be one of our best shows. I really believe that. So uh, as we always tell you, we're here to educate the listener. And I believe what this gentleman is about to tell us and discuss with us, I I believe it's going to give a lot of our listeners a different mindset. Uh, the gentleman's name is Jim Borland. Mr. Borland, how are you doing today? Well, it's a pleasure to be with you. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Mr. Borland, you are a Mississippi businessman as well as a published author. And uh, I'd like to introduce you to our listeners, tell them a little bit about yourself. And I had asked you a question before we went on the air uh, you know, about what led you down this this road of uh, becoming a constitutionalist and, and becoming so familiar with these cherished documents. And uh, as you just began to go down that path, I said, hang on, just stop right there. We got to get this on, on the record. So introduce yourself to our listeners and uh, tell us t- tell us about your background and, and let's get right into it. Well, I'm a lifelong resident of Mississippi. I was born down in Bay Springs, Mississippi. My parents uh, met each other when they were at Mississippi Southern. My dad played football down there, and he played football at Mississippi State. They were both both, uh, public educators. And uh, I'm I'm self-employed. I have a... uh, Free removal service. I got into that about 35 years ago, and it just kind of took off. 
And uh, I've got a son down there in your area. He has Tri-County Tree Service. He does the same thing, but he kind of does it on a bigger scale than I do. But uh, as far as how I got into, as you say, politics, it was kind of more like questioning some things that just seemed to be so out of kilter. And as I was describing to you a few minutes ago, my first political lesson that I didn't even know that I was going to have began in the first grade when my uh, first grade teacher took us out on a balcony one morning and started teaching us about flag etiquette, that you never let the flag touch the ground. You don't leave it up at night without a flag. And back in 64, when I was in the first grade, flags were made out of cotton. And the etiquette was if uh, it started raining outside, they didn't have the all-weather flags like we do today, that uh, you took the flag down because when a cotton flag got wet, it just kind of drooped. So that was part of the etiquette. And uh, fast forward, back in the late 80s, we had this back and forth about desecration of the flag. And uh, whether that was... uh, protected political speech or not. And I thought, you know, most people that were grew up in, in our era back in that time understood that you don't let the flag touch the ground. You don't leave it up at night without a light. And uh, those are things that were just diametrically opposed to public desecration of the flag. And I'm thinking this should be a no-brainer issue and why are we so bogged down over an issue that shouldn't even be an issue and i as i said to you i thought something has got to be fundamentally missing somewhere for us to be bogged down on this issue like this and one night i was pondering over that and it came to me almost like a fluorescent light went off inside my my brain, and it came to me real clear that public desecration of the flag was out of balance with the principles in the preamble of the Constitution. Now, the preamble of the Constitution was something that I memorized uh, by my eighth grade, I guess it was my eighth grade, I want to say it was maybe my eighth grade English teacher had us to memorize the preamble of the Constitution. Well, that's where I left it because no other teacher followed up and showed us uh, the application of the preamble. And, of course, in the eighth grade, you know, you have a limited understanding of what terms like ensuring domestic tranquility mean. But since no other teacher followed up and, and taught us that the preamble had a relative application and especially regarding the First Amendment and I think I shared with you earlier today that you only have one adjective in the First Amendment and that's the right of the people to peacefully assemble. So there are no strictures that give you any kind of definition or parameters to what freedom of speech is or freedom of religion is if it's not enveloped with the 
six principles in the preamble of the Constitution. So it's kind of left up to five justices to be the arbiters of what's acceptable and what's unacceptable. So uh, I, I started doing some inquiry about that. I wrote my congressman, Congressman Sonny Montgomery. And I told him, I said, I don't think we need a constitutional amendment to protect the flag from desecration. I think it's inherently protected because public desecration of the flag is such a gross violation of all the principles outlined in the preamble that it should be understood to be in violation of the Constitution and outside of the parameters of normal constitutional exercise. And I got a letter back from him, and uh, this was back in 1990. And he had a letter from uh, Congressman Edwards from California, who was the subcommittee chairman on the House of the Judiciary. And he wrote in that letter, he says, to date that the preamble is not a source of power for the federal government and cannot enlarge the powers of the government in any way. And when I read that, I was taken back because I, you know, it came to me real quick. I said, the first three words of the Constitution are we the people. We the people is not a power uh, for the federal government and cannot enlarge the powers of the government in any way. I said, here's part of the problem. You know, we, this is the preamble states by who the Constitution is ordained and established by. So, uh, and it was interesting because in that same paragraph, he quoted Justice Joseph Story, who was uh, one of the first Supreme Court justices who was nominated by uh, James Madison, who's the father of the Constitution. Well, Justice uh, Story, he said, and this is what's so weird because it was contradicting itself in the same paragraph by quoting Story. Story said that the true office of the preamble is to expound the nature, extent, and application of the powers actually conferred and not to substantively create power. And that's exactly the approach that I had with the preamble. You use the preamble as the corrective lens to expound the nature, extent, and application of freedom of speech or freedom of religion. And once you do that, and you're using terms like forming a more perfect union, establishing justice, ensuring domestic tranquility, you know, then freedom of speech or freedom of religion becomes a lot healthier defined. So this began a quest that was actually it started for me just around the time of the bicentennial of the Constitution back in eighty seven. That's when when the gears started turning in my head. And so as as I began to, you know, pursue this line of reasoning, I found that 
most legal scholars just leapfrog right over the preamble. They, they don't give it any credence at all. And as time went on, uh, it, it came to me that as I was reading over the preamble that the last purpose stated is to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. And I started thinking about the abortion issue. And I'm thinking, if the mission of the Constitution is to secure the blessings of liberty to posterity, what are we doing ripping them out of the womb? And a woman can't be pregnant unless she carries within her her posterity. And now, granted, a lot of people get that word posterity confused with prosperity. And the, and the two are, have nothing to do with each other. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, in, in our kind of dumbed-down culture, you know, some people get those two terms kind of confused. But uh, the word posterity means future generations or offspring. So if the mission of the Constitution is to secure the blessings of liberty, we, we have absolutely no business legalizing uh, just for constitutional reasons, not to mention in the Ten Commandments, you know, thou shalt not kill. But no one emphasizes that. I hear discussions ad nauseum on abortion, but I never hear a Christian conservative or constitutional talking head ever make reference back to the preamble and the contradiction that legalized abortion is to securing the blessings of liberty to posterity. And I find that just, uh, I find that a blindness of biblical proportions. Absolutely. There are two groups, you would think, that would be very poignant regarding the preamble and it's, uh, you know, trying to give significance and credence to the preamble, and that's black people and pro-lifers. Black people because slavery was a contradiction of everything that the preamble prescribed. But you don't hear black people pointing back to the preamble and, you know, bringing out the point that that was a gross contradiction and that the line of reasoning of why slavery should have been abolished uh, wasn't just the 13th Amendment. It was that it, of course, it violated the Declaration of Independence, but it also violated the preamble. You, you, know, you can't form a more perfect union. You can't establish justice. You can't ensure domestic tranquility. You can't secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity if you got a segment of society in slavery. That's just a contradiction. But for some strange reason, that was not brought into the equation. That was not the line of reasoning. And it should have been the line of reasoning of why slavery had to be abolished. Really never should have got gotten off to begin with uh, 
but I think that's why they called it the Great Compromise is because the uh, northern states had to compromise with the southern states to get them to go along with ratifying the Constitution. And they put that uh, 20 years uh, limitation on, in 20 years, they would stop the importation of slavery. Wouldn't stop slavery, but it would stop the importation. And then eventually it would phase itself out. But from the jump, uh, Americans should have acknowledged that slavery was a gross violation of the preamble of the Constitution. And uh, it's kind of paradoxical that today we've got pro-lifers that talk all around the subject of abortion, but never engage that protective language that's there in the preamble. So, uh, you know, over the years, I'm scratching my head and I'm saying, Am I am I just reading something in here that's not really here? Why 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 do other people not seem to gravitate to this line of reasoning? And uh, it, it's been a mystery. It really has. Uh, but as you know, in the scriptures, it talks about they'll have ears and hear not, and they'll have eyes and they'll see not. And uh, I I believe that that is. Uh, the phenomenon that's going on right now with some of the most sane, protective parts of our founding documents that we have right before us to help us navigate, to help protect us, they're right under our nose and we can't seem to see it. Absolutely. So as I I began to uh, start for a long time, I was just really preoccupied preoccupied on the preamble. Then I started to get into the Declaration. And of course, the Declaration, the language in the Declaration is so more advanced than ours. You don't get the Declaration on one read. And I guess you know that if you, if you read it. You have, <laughs> you have to read over that a few times to kind of get the gist Absolutely. of what the what they're trying to communicate because their language was so much more advanced than ours. Yes, sir. Well, in the declaration, it talks about that when you institute your government, you lay its foundation on such principles and then you organize its powers in such forms that shall seem most likely to affect safety and happiness. All right, well, let's ask ourselves, would the principles in the preamble of the Constitution serve us well as foundation, foundational principles that would affect safety and happiness? When you go and examine what they are, Forming a more perfect union, establishing justice, ensuring domestic tranquility. Certainly, all of those would serve us well as a foundation of principles most likely to affect safety and happiness that the powers are predicated on. 
So, from the declaration, you have a requisite from that document that tells us that we must identify a set of fundamental principles that those powers are predicated on. And if you examine the preamble, you'll see real quickly, they're self-evident, that they all would affect safety and happiness. But we don't emphasize those principles. Now, I shared with you this morning, this, you know, you ponder over this for 35 years, you know, you pick this stuff up, the Lord opens your mind up and he helps you to see things that normally you never even had an interest in. I can guarantee you my history teachers would have never suspected me as being one that would be interested in the Constitution. <laughs> but uh, you, you pick things up along the way. The Lord opens your mind. He helps you to see things. Uh, and one day it just hit me that uh, came to me and uh, the question I posed to you about why did the Lord give Moses the Ten Commandments? And the contemporary answer is to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Point being, you've got a harmonious balance between the Ten Commandments and the preamble of the Constitution. And we're not emphasizing either one because we've kicked the Ten Commandments out. We just ignore the preamble. We don't even recognize that it has any significant utility. But one thing that does is that gives credence to the Founding Fathers' proposition that uh, the divine hand of providence led them through their deliberations and influenced them in bringing about the document. Because Governor Morris, who penned the preamble, uh, wrote that in such a way that it was laced with biblical principles. Uh, There's a scripture... This says how good and how pleasant it is when brethren gather in unity, forming a more perfect union. It's a biblical principle. Yes, sir. So, uh, you know, you, you, you can only ignore these things for so long. And the wheels start, the lug nuts start to work their way off and the wheels start shaking. And if somebody doesn't eventually say, look, we've got to pull over and check this wheel out, and these lug nuts are about to come off. And most wheels have about six lug nuts on there, and we've got six principles in that preamble that we don't pay any attention to. And they're, they're, they're just about to come off the hub, and uh, this wheel is rattling so violent that it's almost becoming just painfully obvious we're we're missing something fundamental somewhere so um, you know I, I, I've known that the, the Lord could 
open people's minds up to see this, and we could almost flip this country like a pancake uh, if they could see it. But for whatever his purposes are, he's kept it hidden until maybe now. Because in the 35 years that I've been doing this, nobody has ever invited these theories to a discussion on a radio program. I've never had an invitation. And uh, that, to me, is a mystery in itself. Not, you know, not that I have anything uh, significant about myself, but it's just the gravity of these kind of principles seem to be uh, something that should be discussed daily. And with uh, urgency. Well, I, I we, have, we're, we're, in, we're in trouble. I have several constitutional attorneys um, that are uh, professors there at Mississippi College School of Law. And I reached out to them about the conversation you and I had this morning. And so they're going to be listening to this. They're going to be taking notes. Well, let me let me tell you what most of them, they, I guess they kind of give a knee-jerk reaction. The, the experience that I've had with most constitutional scholars. And um, Rick Green, and I like Rick Green. He's with David Bard, uh with Wall Builder. But I, I, I put this to him uh, in a talk program. I called in on his talk program. I told him, I said, Joe Biden was violating the Constitution when he stood in front of Independence Hall and he started degrading Republicans and MAGA and and he had two Marines there standing beside him. Uh, He was in violation of his constitutional oath but what specific part was he violating? And Rick, he didn't know. He It kind of stumped him. Well, I said, it was the preamble of the Constitution that he was violating. You can't ensure domestic tranquility, establish justice, and uh, form a more perfect union. Uh, you can't accomplish those things if you're using your office to denigrate half the country. And he agreed with it, but his first immediate reaction, which is so typical of constitutional scholars, but the preamble is not law. That's right. It's not law. It's the foundation for the law. It's the foundation. That's correct. And you, you know, you brought out something trigger? earlier, uh, and and I want to I want to because uh, I want you to make sure that you that you talk about this. But you had referenced uh, a, a biblical scripture to me earlier this morning, uh, Psalms eleven and three. If the foundations plural be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And this was prophetic concerning the nation of Israel. But it didn't say the foundation. It said foundations. 
And you posed a question to me and you said, how many foundations does a house have? Or a building. Or a building. The typical answer is one, but then you went on to discuss that. Talk to our listeners a little bit about that, that foundation and the aspects of that foundation and how it relates to the Ten Commandments, the preamble and the constitution because if you're not careful you miss it and it goes to show you 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 said many many of our uh, uh constitutional scholars they miss a lot of what's being said because they have no spiritual eye anymore our founding fathers not only had intellect but they had a spiritual wisdom or a spiritual lens through which they saw things. So talk to us a little bit about that, that foundation and all. Well, you're right. That, that scripture in Psalms, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous or the good people do? Well, you get steamroller. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, that's what's happening to us right now is that, uh, we're, we're in a, kind of a state of strong delusions because we have gotten so removed and detached from our foundations. We don't even speak the ideological uh, language of our founding. And as I was trying to share with you this morning about, uh, I put this question to people who have a lot of building experience, but I'll get the common answer. How many foundations does a building have? And the common answer is always one. Now, some people, every now and then you meet somebody that might think a little bit side, uh, outside of the box. But generally, every building has three foundations. If you had a flat piece of ground, you were going to build on it. Any contractor knows you got to go in and scrape off that topsoil and that grass and get that off get down to a firm subgrade. Well, that firm subgrade is your first foundation. And you've just created a hole right there, taking out that topsoil about six or eight inches. And you've got to fill that back in. But you've got to fill it in, not just up to level. You've got to fill it up to get it up to grade for building so that you don't have a water problem. So you will have an, an established organic finished grade. And, and you have to bring in materials that the Lord's provided us, some good clay, um, sometimes clay gravel or whatever the, the local resources might be for, for building. And you bring that in, you pack it in, you establish that organic finished grade and then you lay out your footings where your footings are going to go you dig those put your rebar in you pour your concrete slab and your footings you tile that that's your the third layer of foundation that's your structural foundation well you liken this you liken our political building to a physical structure the the subgrade 
was established by the Lord himself. Nobody else had a hand in that. And we could liken the Ten Commandments as that subgrade foundation. Now, next in our political building is the Declaration of Independence. That's kind of a joint effort between a recognition of the laws of nature, nature's God, self-evident truths, and the Founding Fathers kind of co-established the Declaration with the precepts of the laws of nature, nature's God. And that serves us well as that organic finished grade. The next thing you do is you establish the structural foundation for your government. It comes after the Declaration of Independence. And you, you got it right this morning. Most people don't connect those dots. But it was, it's the preamble of the Constitution. It's the first sentence of the rule book. And the preamble serves us well as that structural foundation, like the footings and the rebar and the slab. Now, the superstructure, the main body of the Constitution, in theory, should rest on those two foundations or on those three foundations. If we understand that, that's what we would understand as the foundational structure for constitutional government. And if we understand that those Ten Commandments, the Declaration of Independence, the preamble of the Constitution, we would have a very stable political structure if we all were working from those foundational points of, of understanding. If we're not even putting emphasis on the preamble, and that's part of the Constitution, we kick the Ten Commandments out, and that old antiquated language that's hard to understand in the Declaration, we don't put a lot of emphasis on it, or not there as much as we should. Then, like the Scripture says, if you get so detached from your foundations, what can the good people do? And that's where we are. And, you know, we talked about there was one indispensable word in the Constitution. And then without that one word, and it's mentioned three times in the preamble. If the people, one word is united. And if the people are not sufficiently united in that understanding of those foundations, what is it that really gives us union? And and if we're not a united people around those principles and precepts, we get so divided. You know, we're now at a point where we don't know who to marry, which bathroom to go to, or whether play on the boys' team or the girls' team. And on and on and on and on. So, uh, if we don't rediscover this pretty quick, 
we would be better served with a benevolent dictator than what we've got right now. Actually, in my mind, what we need, because we're about to brace for impact. Our discussion has been about whether the guy who packed the parachute was certified or not, rather than pulling the ripcord. And we are just about to hit the ground. And we've got to shift that discussion to pulling the ripcord. But actually what we need, you know, it takes a, it takes a tremendous amount of domestic tranquility to pull off a presidential election. When you've got a, when you've got a domestic enemy in league with foreign enemies, you can't always be guaranteed you're going to have another presidential election. It takes a tremendous amount of domestic tranquility to pull off a presidential election. And if you can disrupt that in a significant way, and why would it not be to the advantage of our domestic political enemy to do that? It most certainly would. And if if we're not any more united that we can't even see that, if in some way we could have a constitutional monarch like a modern-day George Washington to emerge and just have complete control because we've proven that we're incapable, at least for now, of self-government because we have become too detached from our foundations to hold it together. You know, Thomas Jefferson, he made a statement. He said, let us bind the government down from mischief with the chains of the Constitution. Well, he's talking metaphorically. What are the chain, What would the chains be made of? Chain is made out of individual links. Well, that's me and you. And if we're connected together, which most of us are not. Most Americans have become divided, disjointed from one another. We don't have any binding effect. But that is the way that we have control over government is that, like Thomas Jefferson said, we bind the government down from mischief with the chains of the Constitution. And if we're sufficiently uh, versed in principle, precept, and when they start trying to dupe us into telling us that public desecration of the flag is a First Amendment right, killing your offspring is a constitutional right, we know immediately these are judges that are exercising bad behavior, bad judicial behavior. And they need to be removed. That's not our language, and uh, so we're we're at a very interesting time. And I, I really appreciate you uh, giving these concepts a platform on your program because I think it's very important for people to give them uh, a lot of consideration, 
a lot of prayer and thought of, uh, you know, some of the things that are right under our nose that we're not taking advantage of. We, we're basically, we've been blinded to see them. And hopefully this will make the light kind of trickle on, flicker on for some of your listeners. Earlier this morning when we talked, there was a part of the Declaration of uh, Independence that, that you highlighted. And you said this this was, I'm paraphrasing, but you, you made reference to this being one of the main reasons that, that our government has failed. You quoted and said, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. Explain that to our listeners. Well, uh, you know, as we've been witnessing, we have been radically departing established order on a host of fronts. The abandonment of those Ten Commandments, those were recognized as a foundational pillar of our laws by our forebearers. That precept in the Declaration says you don't do that. You, you don't abolish the forms to which you're accustomed on a will. And uh, it, it, it even goes on and, and it says, mankind is more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they're accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations Invariably pursuing the same object, evidences are designed to reduce them under absolute despotism. It is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Now, the only way I could understand that kind of verbiage is I had to memorize that. Yes, sir. And going over it and over it and over it, you finally get the depth and the gist of what it's trying to communicate. But we have been radically departing established order. When we go into same-gender marriage, you know, the, the preamble says we're trying to form a more perfect union. Most basic union society is marriage between a man and a woman. Most of us do well to get it right the old-fashioned way. But we're venturing out into just, you know, totally un, ungodly uh, ways of, of taking our culture. And uh, we, we're, not, we're not following the laws of nature. Nature's God. We're not following that precept about changing, not changing government for light and transient causes. It's not our language anymore. And, you know, if, if that, that's the most unifying thing you have 
for most cultures is your language. And, you know, if we're trying to form a more perfect union, you press, you don't press anything. English is your language. We don't hyphenate our language. Uh, if we're trying to form a more perfect union, you don't change something as foundational as marriage. You don't go there. Uh, if we're trying to form a more perfect union, you don't import hostile ideologies that tell you to our face that when we get enough of our guys over here, we're going to do away with your constitution and we're going to bring in Sharia. You know, Thomas Jefferson, he had a problem with the Muslims. And uh, unfortunately, we didn't learn from our history. Islam has a place in this world, I guess, but it's not under our constitution. They're incompatible. And if, if we're not versed in those foundations, we can't defend ourselves. We, we get duped into this mindset, come one, come all, whatever it is you believe, in America, you've got your First Amendment right to set up shop no matter what it is you believe is your religion. And that's a misnomer, a dangerous misnomer. And we're suffering because of it. And we'll continue. Because in order to have that perfect union, there must be something that unites us. If our value system isn't the same and our principles aren't the same then 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 our language is not the same therefore what you're saying is there can be no real unity there can be no united if we're operating on two different value systems well it, it's more than just two uh, it's just we're all we're a smorgasbord of Absolutely. almost any, but anything more than the one, and and it becomes detrimental. What what you're saying in essence is this constitution only works if we stick to the truest sense of the Declaration of Independence and the preamble. In other words, as a as a pastor of twenty years. What, what what you have opened my eyes to, and I have prayed about this all day, and, and I wanted you on. I, I, I'm telling you, folks, there is a spiritual awakening that's happening in America. And it's men that will allow God to speak into their lives and through them to warn these United States. Our founding fathers stated, God built this country with them together in tandem they and god built the greatest nation on earth now now here here's here's what's amazing you 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 brought this out uh and, and i want to th- this is what one of our founding fathers ha- had to say he was one of the first ratifiers of the constitution patrick henry And Patrick Henry made this statement. It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians, not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
This is what our founding fathers thought of this nation that they were building. That it was being done with God and through God. And what we've tried to do in this country is remove God, remove the Ten Commandments, remove the Bible, take away that 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 foundation that you're talking about. And and, and in essence, let let me put it on this wise. And, and if you think I'm wrong, then then say it. But the Apostle Paul talked about the letter of the law killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. In essence, what you're saying is the Spirit. The, the the Declaration of Independence and the preamble is the spirit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the letter of the law is the Constitution. But without the spirit, the letter killeth. What you're saying is this Constitution does not work. A constitutional republic does not work if we remove the other foundations. In essence, that's what you're saying. I think that's a good analogy. The, it, the preamble and the declaration is the spirit of who we are as a people. You know, God, God is mentioned four times in the declaration. And uh, the, the principles in the preamble of the Constitution are... Uh, so plumbed with biblical principles, absolutely. That it kind of the essence of in spirit of what we're trying to accomplish as a people, and those things are not being emphasized. They're they're not even understood by even some of the most gifted constitutional uh, scholars and communicators I, I know of, and I won't call their names but I'm sure you guys listen to them every day uh, some very gifted talk radio uh, commentators that uh, they, they just they don't speak the ideological language with a fluency enough to really come to the rescue of the Republic and to unite the people sufficiently in that language that we can speak authoritatively. Absolutely. John Hancock, the first signer of the Declaration of Independence, made this statement. Resistance to tyranny becomes the Christian and social duty of each individual. Continue steadfast and with a proper sense of your dependence upon God, nobly defend those rights which heaven gave and no man ought to take from us. The first signer of the Declaration of Independence, a God-fearing man that said we have a Christian and social duty to defend these rights. And I'm sure you're familiar with John Quincy, uh, John Quincy Adams statement that our constitution was made only for a moral 
than religious people and is wholly inadequate to that of any other. Absolutely. And I was pondering over that, and I shared this with Jenna Ellis on her program. Uh, actually, it was the first day that she was on the air because she had led up to her program by that quote. Uh, and I, I told her, I said, I was sitting in jury duty one day, and I was pondering over that quote that our Constitution would only serve a moral and a religious people. The reason is, is because serving due process of law requires a tremendous amount of resources. And it will deal with an element of criminal behavior. But when the masses become corrupt, the system gets overwhelmed and it can't handle the load. And when I was looking around and I was looking at all the people who got summonsed for jury duty, all the letters that had to go out, all the people in that uh, room that day that, you know, the bailiffs, the court clerk, the judge, uh, the security there. And, and I'm thinking this took a tremendous amount of resources just to pull this jury together. And, and it kind of hit me about that statement that John Quincy Adams said. If the masses become so corrupt, you can't serve due process and the Constitution will not work. This is what he That's said. About what we are. He says our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Morality and virtue are the foundation of our republic and necessary for a society to be free. Yeah, that's that's the full extent of what he said. Folks, this narrative that Christians should just be quiet, this, this narrative that men of God across this nation should remain silent and stay out of politics. That is a fallacy. This nation was, this is why they want to erase history. This is why they want to eradicate history because they do not want you to know that your founding fathers were God fearing men. No, no, they were not religionist. They were God fearing men. They were Christians in the very essence of the word. And they want you to shy away from your responsibility to defend and protect this nation against enemies, both foreign and domestic. That's what they want us to do. They want every pastor across this nation to keep their mouth shut and not say anything. Folks, if there is no nation There is no right to preach your gospel. If there is no United States, there is no revival in this nation. There is no revival throughout the earth. God himself used these men to build a bastion of hope, a refuge for people to worship God, to build the greatest nation on this planet. 
The United States is the very reason that you see the gospel spread throughout the earth. God had a plan and the powers that be want you to remain quiet. They want you to be handcuffed to apathy. They don't want you to fulfill a mandate. You have a mandate to defend this nation, to defend this gospel. Because it was the gospel that built this country and made it what it is. Folks, don't be deceived. What this man is telling us here on this broadcast is the absolute truth. I'm I'm telling you. He has opened my eyes to so many things over the last 24 hours. I have shared this with a multitude of, of pastoral friends across this nation. And I've told them, hey, People are speaking. They're giving. They're, the Bible says that in the last days, knowledge would increase more and more. God would empower us. There needs to be a revival of that communication of our forefathers, both spiritual and political. And many of these men were both. What you fail to realize, men of God that are sitting on the sidelines and keeping your mouth shut because you don't want to lose your tax-exempt status because you're afraid you're going to get in trouble. You need to realize some of these men that, that, that authored and signed this declaration and this constitution, these were men of God. These were preachers. These were theologians. I believe over 34 of them were theologians. These men were not cowards. And as our guest has just highlighted to us, we are losing our country. We're allowing them to steal what God and our forefathers have entrusted us with. We were entrusted with this. The preamble states clearly. And to secure the blessings of liberty, not only to ourselves, but to our posterity from generation to generation to generation. And we are failing our children and our grandchildren. That's what we're doing in this nation. Shame on you. Shame on you if you're willing to fill a pulpit and you're willing to go out and teach a Bible study and you can't defend the nation that's afforded you the opportunity to do such. I hate to tell you folks, but you can't separate these two. You cannot separate them. They're inseparable. History bears record. These documents bear record. This nation is inseparable from God himself. Who do you think has been the one that has been the biggest defense of the nation of Israel. He said, I will bless those nations that bless you and I will curse those nations that curse you. It has been the United States of America. You read the book of Revelation and what you find is that lion with eagle's wings and the heart of a man. That's what the book of Revelation states. I saw a lion with eagle's wings coming out of its back and the heart of a man. 
Well, let me tell you what the scripture goes on to say. And the wings were plucked out as of a great eagle. And it was given unto those wings the heart of a man. Friends, that was the birth of the United States of America in the book of Revelation. That was the prophet John showing us on the Isle of Patmos as he was writing that Holy Scripture. This is the birth of these United States, those eagle wings coming out of that British lion, being given the heart of a man. Folks, what was the heart of a man? I want you to think about the symbolism of this nation. Think about the posters. We need you. Uncle Sam, Uncle Sam needs you, the heart of a man. Eagle's wings and the heart of a man. For some of you, you're so shallow, you don't even see the, the symbology in that. Of Jesus Christ himself, the heart of a man, God robed in flesh, coming to earth to save a lost and dying people. But the prophet David made this statement, but he was born up with eagle's wings. The Messiah. God's playing chess and everyone else is playing checkers. Folks, we got to wake up. This man has just told us we are losing our nation. It will not continue to work. It's not going to continue to work. We're headed. Three times today I have heard we're headed. We're headed for something real bad. Two men that I talked to on the phone on the way to this studio, and then Mr. Borland says it himself, we, we better be looking for the ripcord. Because this landing is going, this is not, this is not going to be good. We're being given an opportunity to correct these things. God's given men and women revelation and we need to listen. That's why it was important today that I bring him on the air. I'm telling you folks, this is more than, this is not just politics. This is spiritual. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood but powers and principalities of wickedness in high places. See, God himself ordained government. That's what the book of Romans teaches us. Chapter 13 and 14, it reveals to us that God ordained government. God ordained government. He instituted government for the people. But it's a government that should be righteous, built on the law of God and nothing else. Not built on your feelings, not built on anything else. But 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 what the Declaration of Independence has stated to us. We we we, we don't we don't just we don't just change things for light and transient causes. We don't allow culture to dictate. We don't allow fashion 
and things of the moment to dictate and change what has been established. We don't go back and dig up the foundation. You don't build the building and go back and say, well, you know, we're going to go back and dig something. You don't do that. And that's what the left wants us to do. That's what this evil spirit that has got a hold of this nation wants to do. It wants to destroy. It wants to remove the Bible. It wants to remove prayer from schools. It wants to remove the Ten Commandments. But there are men that are allowing God to speak to them, saying, hey, we we better get back to it. It takes the Bible, and it's going to take these articles, these founding documents, to preserve this nation. Yes, we read the back of the book. We know how it ends. But until that trumpet blows, until that trumpet blows, the Bible says for us to be found faithful. Jesus said, continue therein until I come. Until he blows that trumpet, until he issues the millennial reign of Christ, until he brings everlasting peace it is our job and our duty to defend what god has entrusted us with otherwise we're not being good stewards of what god has given us and right now what he's given us in our families is the best country this world has ever seen and we have an obligation to defend it because we're the ones writing the checks we're sending missionaries we're sending money all over the earth We are the most benevolent nation on this planet. We send out more evangelists, more missionaries. The gospel is being taught to the ends of the earth because of America. Not because of Russia, not because of China, not because of Canada, not because of Brazil, not because of Mexico, not because of England, but because of these United States. Mr. Borland, I, I, we appreciate you. We thank you so much. I'm telling you, brother, you have encouraged me. You have really caused me to want to dig deep and say, Lord, what, what, what? you're giving us something. You're, you're giving us a plan here. Until you come, you're, 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 you're trying to give us something that can save us from ourselves. The but, blueprint is right in front of us. Absolutely just whether we have the eyes to read the blueprint. Listen, I know there's a lot of radio hosts. There's a lot of podcasters, a lot of television people out there. You listen to the show. Hey, you need to, you need to invite this man. Contact me. I'll get you his contact information. You, you need to let this man come on your show and, and talk about these things. Because I'm telling you, everybody I've talked to today, they said, wow, wow, hold up. We haven't looked at it this way before. Well, they well said, there was an admonition that uh, George Washington gave the delegates at the Constitutional Convention. And we're at the same place. He said, let us raise a standard that the wise and honest can repair. Wow. And it, it really went on. It said, if to please the people. We offer what we ourselves disapprove. How can we afterward defend our work? Let us raise a standard that the wise and honest can repair. And that's exactly where we are. We need to identify 
a workable standard, identify it and, and uh, get instruction in how to use it, work it. And all it requires is basically three elements from the people. They need to be basically wise, honest, little backbone. All of which are biblical mandates. Biblical mandates given to man. And there's one other scripture I'd like to have everyone kind of ponder over because I think they'll uh, connect with it. Where there's no vision, the people perish. Absolutely. And we don't have a vision of where we came from. What were the mechanisms that got this thing going? And what are those same mechanisms that it's going to take to keep it and preserve it? Then we like a people with no vision and we perish. Mr. Moreland, let me ask you a question. Do, do you, do you see a future in politics? No. Oh, I, I see, uh, See, my place is to try to educate people. Now, I told you that I think we, we've almost reached the point of no return because of our disconnect from one another. Even the good people are disconnected. We're not speaking the language that's requisite to rescue the public, uh, republic. Yes, sir. Uh, we, we are beyond constitutional government just didn't work in a vacuum you, you can't just drop the reins and expect this thing to work on autopilot uh, there you know there's certain individuals uh, David Barton that that guy is like a, a walking encyclopedia of American history right when you when you listen to him give a, a lecture, it's like drinking out of a fire hose, and uh, and he talks to you eye level. You know he's not over your head, but he is a treasure. And for the life of me, why he's not being called out? He does lectures on the founding fathers that they were often called to serve. You know, a lot of times we just leave it to chance that somebody's going to show up we can vote for instead of diligently going out and seeking out and finding people. Right. I think the American people ought to be calling David Barton to a presidential platform. If he didn't win, he would shape the dialogue of, of a presidential election like no other person could. Absolutely. But, for the life of me, while we're not calling people like him, he's a treasure. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I see myself as uh, a person who just tries to enlighten and open up their minds to uh, things that are really right under their nose. And uh, we've got to do that quick if we're going to have any prospect of uh, even having a vision 
anymore of who we are. Yes, sir. I, I don't mind if we go down. I just want to go down swinging. Right. And it might be in the cards that that's what's going to happen to us. But right. we're not, if there's not a remnant of us that is trying to go down, you know, raising a standard that we can repair, then we truly lost and become people with no vision. Absolutely. Now, you authored a book, The Future Patriot of 1776. Now, it's out of print at the moment, but uh, you're looking to have this book republished. Is that correct? Yes. And uh, I, hope to get, I hope to get it done by the 4th of July this year. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, folks, uh, you can look him up online, The Future Patriot of 1776, J.R. Borland. And uh, that's B-O-U-R-L-A-N-D. And uh, the, the, I just ordered a used copy of the book, but he's he's looking to get it back in print. Uh, I would encourage you folks to go out there, find the book, buy it, or wait until it's republished and uh, let him send you a signed copy for a uh, nice donation. Uh this book, Future Patriot of 1776, t- tell our listeners a little bit about it before we let you go. Well, it's uh, it's just an entertaining fictional novel about a 14-year-old boy that has a preoccupation with the Declaration of Independence and the preamble of the Constitution, and he develops a formula, and that formula is called the constitutional ensign to the nation. Ensign to the nation is taken from Isaiah uh, 526, I believe, where it talks about, and he shall lift up an ensign to the nations from afar. Well, our constitution is an ensign to the nation. It's a banner or standard of liberty. It's not just for... Those principles in the preamble don't just apply to Americans. They apply to people everywhere. Absolutely. And so in this book, this 14-year-old boy, his name is George Thomas Alexander, which is after the pre-founding fathers, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and Alexander Hamilton. And uh, he... He comes about with this uh, ideological blueprint of the de- six core precepts from the Declaration of Independence that every generation has to maintain and pass on, or we lose our ideological identity of what it means to be an American. And coupled with those six principles in the preamble of the Constitution, and it just so happens to be you're you're codifying these six principles in the preamble, these six core precepts from the Declaration, and it just so happens that there were six men that signed both documents, and uh, I thought. And I just discovered that probably about uh, 10 years ago. Wow. And I thought, what a striking paradox. 
Absolutely. So the, the, the book is just, like I say, it's a fictional novel and an entertaining way to kind of introduce people and get them reacquainted. In the back of the book, it has uh, the constitutional ensign in the very back, and it lists those six core precepts from the Declaration along with those six principles in the preamble. And together, those serve like a set of bifocal lens that we look through to interpret the Constitution. Wow. There you have it, folks. So I hope you you enjoy your book. Absolutely. 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 now you've really got me interested. I wished I'd have got it overnighted. <laughs> I don't think they offered overnight shipping, though. Um, but but I'm excited to read the book. Uh, I love supporting Mississippi authors. And, uh, brother, I'm so glad that uh, I was able to meet you. I feel like I've made a lifelong friend. And, uh, man, I look forward to sitting down and drinking coffee and uh, talking about, about our great nation in these uh, precious documents more with you. Uh, folks, again, our guest, Jim Borland. And uh, wow, wow, i tell you, it's blown my mind today. Absolutely blown my mind. Folks, there you have it. We appreciate you joining us, and uh, we look to have Mr. Borland back with us again soon. Till we meet again, God bless. Thank you for tuning in to Mississippi Matters. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as other streaming platforms. Please share this episode with others. Feel free to let us know what topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes. Get in touch with us on Facebook or visit us online at www.mymississippimatters.com. 